Welcome to the Thriving on Purpose podcast, where we teach Christian entrepreneurs how to build a strong foundation of faith, growth, and skill to lead and thrive on purpose in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, certified coaches, Elizabeth and Sebastian Richard. Hi guys, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Thriving on Purpose podcast. Today I'm here with Sebastian Richard. Hi guys. And we're going to talk about what team building process did Jesus use? Understanding the dynamics of team building. So if you are building a team, you're in network marketing, direct sales, uh, whatever business it may be, and you'd like to learn how to grow a team the way Jesus did, stick around. So in today's episode, we're going to look at how an effective team is built. John Maxwell said, the truth is that teamwork is at the heart of great achievement. Exactly. When building an online business, especially if it's in direct sales or network marketing, smart team building is one of the most important parts of your success. A great team around you will take you and your organization to the next level and the next and the next. So it's not only important to surround yourself with great team players, but also with the right kind of players. The best team builder in the history of mankind will be our model. His team of only 12 individuals changed the course of history. I am, of course, talking about Jesus Christ, whose 12 apostles cemented the fledging church into a movement that completely changed history. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the church, like, as you know, has completely uh, rewritten history as soon as Christ came and established his church through his followers, through his apostles. These guys set the world on fire. And the best definition of the church as an organization that I have ever heard came from a pastor who uh, was uh, giving a, a conference, a speech, and he was saying that um, once he was on an airplane and a lady asked him what he did for a living. And here's what he answered. I work for an organization that is found on every continent and every country. Our leader is known worldwide. We have implanted relief organizations, publishing houses, schools, libraries, hospitals, and my employer hires millions of people worldwide in all languages, some paid and some volunteer. We reach, teach, and help people across the globe, and we have been in business for hundreds of years. Flabbergasted, the lady asked, Oh my, this is astounding. So what organization do you work for? The pastor smiled and simply answered, the church, I am a pastor. I love that. <laughs> I mean, this, is, this is funny. And I remember when I heard that, I was like, wow. And it's when you look at it from an organizational perspective, that's really what the church is, right? I mean, that's how much impact that the church has had. So although it is funny, it's very true at the same time. And that all began with a team of 12 handpicked men that Jesus chose. As we will see, Jesus didn't go just haphazardly from one person to the next, begging them to follow him. That's not the way he did it at all. 
No, that's not how he did it. He was methodical and intentional when reaching out to someone. When he said to someone, follow me, it wasn't on a whim. It wasn't like, oh, I think I kind of like him. I think I like... He knew exactly who he was looking for, what he was looking for, and he knew exactly when he found it. So that, I mean, think about the intentionality here because Christ knew all. Huh? He was like, like, we read in many instances in scriptures where he could read minds and it's like it says, knowing the thoughts that were in their hearts. So he, he was, uh, he had that, obviously that God-like power to know. So he knew exactly who he was looking for and he went for those people. So when he asked someone, follow me, when he said, follow me, it was with foresight, insight, and intentionality. Right. So first, let's read John 6, 22 to 27. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there. Now, just a little pause here. When we're talking about the next day, we're talking about after Jesus um, multiplied the bread and the fish. Okay, right. the miracle of the bread and the fish. Right. And that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father was placed his, has placed his seal of approval. So then Jesus proceeded on teaching them about how he is the bread of life that comes from God and how they should follow him because he knew that they were following from the wrong motive and he wanted to make sure that the people who were following him were doing it for the right reasons. So Liz, could you keep reading from verses uh, John 6, uh, 60 to 70? So we read in John 6, 60 to 70, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. So, what a whopper of a passage. <laughs> yeah. 
There are many, many lessons we could get from this passage about mm -hmm. team building, audience targeting, and followership. And uh, it's just amazing how Jesus didn't care how many people followed him. He just wanted the right people. And I think I mentioned that in the, er, an earlier episode that we did. The last one on the last target one. marketing. Yeah. On target, yeah. Uh, he just wanted the right people to follow him. Uh, here's what we're going to do about the team building episode we're doing right now. We're going to look at these, uh, these lessons that we're teaching today in segments. Every team we build can be broken down into three parts. Take any team sport, for example, okay, whether it be hockey, basketball, football, all teams can be bro broken down into three distinct parts. I have a magazine at home. It's the uh, Hockey News Annual that gives you pretty much the, all the information you need to know when the season starts about your teams and the roster and how they're gonna, the how they think they're gonna perform this year if they have a, a shot at the championship and everything. But what's interesting is they really break it down when you read uh, all the players listed on the team. They break it down into pretty much these three categories. The number one is called your extended roster. So your extended roster is all of the players associated with your organization. The core players and the reserves. This includes the players from your farm team as well. So if you have a, a professional team that kind of like is where your, your players are trained to one day graduate to the NHL, well, that includes those players as well. We will see later that Jesus had an extended roster himself of 72 disciples. So a lot of people don't know that. about the, They're not too familiar with the 72 disciples. Number two are your main players. Now, these are the individuals on your team that contribute daily. These are the key players that were chosen out of your extended roster. They are the key cogs of your organization. These are the faces you recognize when you watch games of your favorite sports teams on TV, okay? And Jesus' team was comprised of a core uh, group of players, and they were the 12 apostles. And we just read in the passage uh, that, that, that was so uh, long-winded in John that Jesus handpicked them to be his team. When he replies to them, he says, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Okay? So that was the main players. And number three are your stars. Okay? Every sports team has at least one superstar. The superstars are not only the biggest contributors to the team's success, but they are also the face of the franchise. They are more performing, but also more scrutinized. Jesus had three star performers on his team. And most of you might know them as Peter, James, and John. And we'll talk about that later. Okay? So the same can be said of your organization, of the team you're trying to build in network marketing or direct sales. On your team, you have your extended roster of people who sign up. So your extended roster is basically everybody who signed up with you. Okay? You will also have your more invested players, what you could call your main players. Okay, so that would be the equivalent on your team of the 12 apostles. And you also will have what we like to call in network marketing, you've probably heard that expression many times, your rock stars, your high achievers, those who 
will do as much as you do even more. Okay, sometimes some of them will surpass you. And that's just fine and dandy, especially if you're in network marketing. You just love to have these people on your team. <laughs> right. So first, we're going to start with the 12, okay? So let's talk about your main players, the ones who comprise the crux of your team, better known in the Bible as the 12 apostles. Most of you, all of you, I surmise, that know about the 12 apostles. They were Jesus' foremost representatives. The word apostle is from the Greek, apostolos, and it means an envoy or an ambassador or a messenger commissioned to carry out the instructions of the commissioning agent. Isn't that interesting? So, apostle means the sent out ones, the ones who are sent out. So, this group, okay, of 12 disciples or trainees called apostles changed the world. They were the church's pioneers. They solidified this organization that Jesus came to build called the church. Jesus was its cornerstone, but the apostles were its pillars. So, 12 basically made the cut from the core of his followers, because it says in the scriptures that uh, Jesus chose 12, okay? It says this in the scriptures. He chose 12. Exactly. So I'm going to mention who they are. Uh, Simon, called Peter. Andrew, brother of Peter. Uh, Bethsaida, fisherman and disciple of John the Baptist. James, John's brother, son of Zebedee. John, son of Zebedee. Philip from Bethsaida of Galilee. Thaddeus, Judas, son of James. Bartholomew. Thomas, also known Thomas Didymus, did I say that right? Didymus, yeah, Didymus. which means the twin. Okay. Yeah. And James, commonly identified with James the Less, was a leader of the early Christian church at Jerusalem, also known as the Lord's brother. And some people don't know that, that James was actually, uh, the, well, the half-brother of mm -hmm. Jesus, because they didn't have the same father, obviously. But uh, they grew up together. So that's an interesting uh, dynamic right, right there, right? Right. And Matthew, the converted tax collector. Simon, the Canaanite, called in Luke and Acts, Simon the Zealot. The Zealot. Zealot. And, and this is really interesting, because Matthew was a tax collector. Okay? So basically, Matthew was seen by the Israelites as a traitor. Because he worked for the Romans, collecting taxes from his fellow Israelites. And he took some, as was the custom of tax collectors, he took some of that money, so he would basically, let's say you owed, I don't know, 15 denarii, and he would say, you owe 20. Mm. And he would take five and put it in his pocket, right? Because that was the custom of tax collectors. That's how they got rich, right. tax collectors. But they were really hated by the people. And here's the interesting thing. <laughs> Simon the Canaanite, Okay, who was also called Simon the Zealot. Now that's at the complete opposite end of the spectrum. See, the Zealots were a group of people who wanted to overturn the Roman government because they hated it so. Mm. So can you imagine having these two guys on your team? How do you make these guys play nice together? <laughs> that must have been interesting. That must have been interesting. <laughs> like one is, I don't know, man. He was a converted tax collector, mind you, uh, Matthew. So the fact that he converted and repented. It was repented, like having a union rep in your team. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that, the fact that uh, uh, 
Matthew converted must have helped quite a bit, but still, it must have been interesting. <laughs> and finally, Judas, uh, you were going to say. Yeah, Iscariot. He needs no introduction. He was replaced as an ap apostle in Acts by Matthias. 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 I don't know. I don't know how you pronounce it, huh? In French, it's Matthias. Matthias in, in French. I don't know. Anyway, Sorry, guys. You, get, you guys get the point. Forgive us our accent. <laughs> we know not what we say. So in Mark uh, chapter 3, verse 14 to 15, it says, And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, this is interesting. It's a short verse, and yet it basically gives you the whole mission statement of the apostles, what they were supposed to do. So the passage here tells us why he appointed them. Number one, to be with him. Number two, to be sent out to preach. And number three, to have authority. So he gave them authority and power to cast out devils. Okay, so first of all, they were to be with him. Now, this means that Jesus chose these men in order to pour himself into them daily and in very close proximity. He was going to disciple them more thoroughly than the others who followed him more casually. And at the end of the day, just went home, right? These guys were going to stick with him, okay? These guys would walk with him, eat meals with him, ask him questions directly, get answers that others would not. They were with him every day and everywhere for about three years. Now, that is what we call heavy-duty training. Now, they were fortunate, of course, to be so close to the Lord. They were blessed, but they were also called to great responsibility and great leadership because to whom much is given, much is required. And these apostles, the, uh, his 12, his core of 12, were given so much by being privileged to be with him for this three years, right? Right. So the 12 were the first to know who Jesus really was. They were his first line of witnesses and witnessing was going to be their mandate when Christ would leave to heaven. So when Jesus chose the 12, he purposely chose the guys who would make the best job at witnessing for him. He shared everything he could with them daily. It's very interesting. I once read in a leadership book that team building is maximized in efficiency when it is a team comprised of no more than 12 people. Really? So what he was saying in this book was, they argued, he argued in the book that a leader's personal attention, influence, and capacity to mentor is maximized in smaller groups of no more than 12 individual and we're, we're talking about personal attention here right you know we're not talking about I, i'm doing videos and you're watching videos on my facebook group no no we're talking about spending time with a person on the phone in person having coffee mastermind masterminding yeah, yeah. so no more than 12 indi individuals now i'm going to ask you a question do you think that jesus already knew this fact well, yeah, well, yeah, of course he did, right? I mean, he already he knew this fact because he invented human psychology. So <laughs> he's the one who made us. So, of course, he knew 
uh, in which setting we would learn best. And his small group of 12 men, this band of brothers, through his teaching, influence, and power, turned the world upside down. And we've never been the same since. So he poured into them, okay, because they were also called and commissioned to go out to preach. So the twelve, through their preaching, were ambassadors of Christ. Their preaching would set the world on fire, and Peter's first sermon at the Pentecost alone, that sermon alone, converted 3,000 souls. That is hard to imagine because, you know, today we have mega churches. Back then, it was done more in the public places and stuff like that. Right. So for a sermon without a mic, keep in mind, didn't have a mic, to convert 3,000 souls, that must have been something that was never seen before. And that was all because of the prior Holy Spirit coming down at Pentecost and filling these apostles with a full measure of the Holy Spirit. And right. that's when they came out and they were on fire and they, were, they mm -hmm. basically came out of their hiding place. They weren't scared anymore, right? And they were bold for God, bold for Christ, and it just it changed the world. So obviously, uh, that was part of their training too, to be able to do that. And then he gave them authority, as the verse says. So the Bible says he gave them authority to cast out demons, but they also had authority bestowed upon them that defies human understanding. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now that's authority. And that is the authority that Jesus gave his apostle to get that movement started. Every good leadership and team building book I have ever read speaks of the importance of empowering your team members. Very true. And that's exactly what happened in, the, in that passage. That's what Jesus did. Right. So your core players on your team should be given empowerment. This comes in the form of encouraging them, giving them responsibility, showing them trust, providing them with access to resources, teaching them what you know. So spending good quality trainings. Um, you know, and I, I was talking about this earlier. I had I've listened to many, many successful network marketers and business owners and online business builders. And one of them really struck, you know, what he said really hit me because he said that he, well, he has a huge, huge organization. And because of that, he obviously makes a lot of money. How many people are in his organization? Uh, thousands and thousands. Is he in network marketing? Yeah. Okay. Anyhow, so the, so I was listening to his story and they were asking him why why are you so successful? And I mean, he's not the type of person that's like, you know, physically has it all. Like he, you know, is very simple looking, uh, not the kind of guy that you would, you know, be like that you would notice in a, in a mall or anything. You know, he's not like this. So he doesn't foot, have a strong physical presence. Yeah. He's not like the six foot guy that's very salesy or whatever. Okay, you know, yeah, you know the it. type that yeah. would normally get attention. Yeah. 
Not at all. And he was talking about how he um, really worked hard in personal development and mindset and uh, really worked to build himself up to have that belief and that mindset to be able to, um, you know, be able to do what he does and, and recruit people and all. But he was explaining that leadership was crucial and that he really, really focused on trainings and leadership to, because he knew that he could not, he could never uh, create a, a huge team if he didn't know how to build these leaders up and and invest in them and be that amazing leader, right? Mm. So he would take his rock stars, so his um, the most devout leaders in his organization, and he would pay masterminds and trainings and invest thousands and thousands of dollars to get these guys to really, really um, become amazing leaders. And mm. that's why, that's one of the reasons he was so successful. And he would pay for all of this. Mm. Like he would fly them down and say, this is what we're doing this weekend and get these amazing speakers and amazing trainers there because he saw the importance in investing in his team players. And that's how you empower your people, right? I mean, right. by not being afraid to go all out to to spend that that extra amount of time and 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 showing them that you trust them and and giving them more responsibility and providing them with access to resources and that's right. what you were talking about he's provided them with through his his own means access to resources that really brought them to the next level and i think that's amazing yeah but the most interesting thing about the 12 that i think is personally it's that jesus chose them you see, your team is not supposed to choose you. Rather, you are supposed to choose them. That's how leadership works. And we often make the mistake as leaders to think that attracting followers is going to be the way instead of choosing the people we want to work with. And that is a key that is so overlooked and so important. So many times in, in network marketing trainings, we're going to hear, talk about your opportunity to everybody or anyone can be a potential addition to your team. So talk to anyone. I'm sorry, that is just not the right way to do it. If you're going to build a team that is going to be highly successful. Liz, you had a story to share with us. Would you, would you share that with us? Yeah, so um, when I meet with uh, new new people, um, I like to uh, expand my circle and, you know, get out and be social with people. And I'm always, you know, looking for new friendships and, and looking for those certain leaders that I can see have great qualities. And I believe that a lot of people, even if they're not in network marketing, you can, you can spot, you know, people that are quality people that have good character, good values that have a good head on their shoulders, quick thinking, and that you see that they can have some leadership potential, right? But I've also had those conversations with people that I thought might be a certain way. And when you do sit down and have coffee with them and whatnot, you don't even want to present your opportunity. Would they be interested? Perhaps. Would they stick around and be a team builder? No. So, you know, sometimes... There's certain people that are not even good enough to be customers in your business. And I'm not saying this to sound, you know, condescending or anything. It's just that some people just, it's not their cup of tea. You just know that uh, either your product or service is just not a good fit. Uh, they're not the type of person that would even buy that 
if, if you even like if you gave it to them free they wouldn't use it mm-hmm. um and when you're thinking leadership building a team you know working with people you you want to be with on a regular basis have conversations every day with and actively build you have to think think of that keep that in mind uh don't think you know yeah i can easily sign this person up because i know that you know they would say yes because they like me and all that well yeah but you know if that's not somebody that you see has these these potential qualities that you can mm-hmm. work with then you know you're going to kind of be dragging this person in your in your business and dragging them trying to bring them up the ladder and they're going to keep on tumbling down and it's, it's not going to work it's funny you said that because i guess you could say that uh, if you're going to drag someone into your business eventually they're going to be a drag <laughs> exactly right i mean that's really the way it is and oftentimes as business builders we we aim we aim for numbers right we aim for quantity because we're trying to build that get that momentum going but uh, that could be a big mistake because if you put quantity over quality you could end up you know just basically all, having to rebuild constantly constantly rebuilding because you lose that people at the bottom they just like drop out drop out drop yeah. out and keep having to add and add and it never ends and the other very um the other pitfall that people fall into is uh attracting uh going for that negative person they don't realize it's kind of subconscious because they'll say this negative depressed person needs network marketing she needs this opportunity because oh this would just like you know, give her wings and she'd feel like she has purpose and all of a sudden she's be, she'll become this rock star when no. she embraces this, right? Yeah. And yet, um, it, it's, it's, it's wishful thinking, but honestly, it's not going to work because the person already is in a negative mindset and just to change that mindset around could take years. Yeah. Some people just want to stay in their negative doubts and their depression, in their uh, negative self-talk and it's sad, you know, but when you're building a business, it's it's a lot of work to try to, you're not a psychiatrist, you're not a psychologist, yeah. you cannot, um, you're building a business, you really have to try to find these positive people. And it could just be the wrong timing too for the person. I mean, if right. the person just went through a divorce or is, uh, is mourning or something, it's just not the right time, right? I mean, you might think, oh, it's going to give them wings, it's going to encourage them. Probably not. No. Yeah. It's just come back maybe in six months and, and see how they are. Exactly. And one of my mentor um, had even mentioned this once when he was talking about this very topic. Uh, he'll, you know, some people will say to him, well, if I if I join the business, will I be able to get out of debt um, and pay off my mortgage? I, I owe like three months. I'm late three months my mortgage. Can I do this all of this month? No. And, you know, some some would just say yes, just because they want to sign up. Yeah. Right. And they're dishonest. But it's not true. Like we, we all know it takes time to build a business. It takes time to recruit people. It takes time. To, to build yourself up. Sometimes it's exactly just building yourself up to start getting those results can be can be time consuming for some people who've never done any personal development. And to of learn any the type. skills. Yeah. Yeah. They could take them three months just to get a first person to say yes. Yeah, or to develop the skills and how to uh, do it do the business properly, right? And so I I liked his honest opinion. You know, he said, Look, this is probably not the right timing for you. And, you know, you should look into to getting yourself a regular job for now just to stay afloat. Yeah, that's honest. And work your network marketing business on the side, on the side. as a part-time thing so that 
eventually, yes, you'll be able to get out of your nine to five job and and get the results you want and get the life you want, right? Yeah. But he's very realistic. He didn't try to just sign the person up for his own gain. He did, you know, do yeah. you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I, have to, oh, I totally get it. So basically what, what I'm trying to say here with this is if you want to build a team that will carry on your legacy, you will have to choose the ones who will bear the torch you hand them higher. So basically be choosy. It's good, it's fine, and it's what Jesus would do. <laughs> For those of you out there who are wondering, what would Jesus do? <laughs> well, that's what he would do, be choosy, and he was choosy. Think, think that you're going to spend a lot of time with this person and that you're going to end up going golfing or... Uh, you know, doing vaca company vacations. You do, you don't want to like, you know, go after people that you would never even be friends with if it wasn't for this business, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now we get to talking about the 72 disciples. We spoke of the 12. We went through what the 12, the, that core, the, that, that strong team that you're trying to build, who they are, like what they're like. Now we're going to talk about the extended roster, the 72, okay, who followed Jesus. Some manuscripts or translations say 70, others say 72, most Bible translations say 72, and the identity of the 72 disciples is rather obscure. I personally believe that the 12 were a part of the bigger roster of 72, so they were mingled within, among those 72, okay? And I also believe that these disciples included uh, Mark, known as John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, uh, the Gospel by, who, that bears his name, basically, and perhaps even Luke, uh, the beloved uh, physician who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And it's interesting, in the Gospel of Mark, there's a mention where we think it's kind of like autobiographical. Uh, towards the end, where Jesus is arrested at Gethsemane, it says that there's this young man who escapes naked. Uh, I know it's weird, it's kind of like out there, but uh, we think that this is uh, Mark talking about himself, who was, when Jesus was arrested, he was among the, the disciples who were with him, and he got scared for his life, and he just ran, and probably he had taken his cloak or something, or whatnot, maybe he was trying to hold on, I, I don't remember the exact account, I just remembered this right now. So we can only conjecture about who the 72 were, and I won't go in, uh, in detail about that, but suffice it to say that they were serious followers of Jesus who, although they weren't handpicked to be his 12, they were nonetheless invested followers. So now we're going to read uh, an account in Luke chapter 10 that talks about the sending out of the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. And in verses 17 to 21, we read of what they reported back to him. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. What a wonderful passage where we really see Jesus coach uh, with all the wisdom that was given to him. And Mm. he's such an amazing mentor. So he sends them out, says, go, I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. And then they come back and boy, are they excited. I mean, like, they're amazed. I mean, whoa, just little old me, I was able to cast out a devil. Oh boy, like they're, 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 they're going nuts. And then you see the wisdom of Jesus who kind of calms them down and say, don't get overexcited. You know, when you, you know, when you, you send, need to focus on what's important. You know, here. when you send that, <laughs> when you form people on your team and you tell them basically how to, how to recruit or whatnot, and they report back to you, you say, I signed up three people, I signed up three people. And, and, and they're so excited and they're so happy. And you're like, well, that's great. That's awesome. But don't get overexcited because sometimes you, because when you've been in the business long enough, you know that sometimes like when you're on fire and it's all starting out, you can sign a whole bunch of people in your first week and then it goes dead for three months. So you don't want to, to get overexcited. It's kind of like what Jesus does here. He calms them down. And says, don't be excited that the spirits submit to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Why does he tell them that? Because he tells them that so that they keep the right mindset. That their empowerment doesn't come from the fact that they can cast out devils. Their empowerment comes from the fact that they're children of the Most High. It's who they are, not what they do that matters. So Jesus, Jesus brings them back to that. And at the same time, in the same passage, we see that Jesus is, it says it, he's full of joy through the Holy Spirit. And then he goes and says, I praise you, Father. And he exalts in, in praise to the Father. And then he says, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. So it's interesting how he talks about the 72. In his eyes, they're like this fledging young team inexperienced kind of like little kids who you know when kids how kids are they get excited and they're passionate and and they're on fire and and jesus has joy when he sees that he's like wow and why does he have joy because they just did it through faith they knew that he was he had given them authority they went and did it and they had results so he thought that was endearing in a way, as, as right. if you, when you see your kid do something for the first time, walking for the first time, or, or succeeding at something for the first time, we always feel a sense of pride, right? So I think it's a beautiful passage, and it's really, it really shows you how to view this extended roster of yours. Because yes, you're going to teach your 12, or well, it won't be 12, it's going to be, you know, your your Closer you're, leaders. You're, you're better. You're cl- better leaders. You're, you're better performers. You're going to teach them a certain way. But your extended roster, those who have signed up with you who may do it part-time or may not be as invested or may not have as much time to do because they have another job or whatnot, you're going to spend, you're going to coach them differently. So you're going to be maybe on the one hand more patient. Uh, on the other hand, I, 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 I took a few notes here and I, th- I think this is really interesting. Uh, here's what I, I, I saw from the 72, okay? In Luke 10. The 72 were, first of all, they were taught. 
Then they were instructed when Jesus tells them what to do when they go, you know, don't, don't go from house to house and wherever you go, whatever we give you to eat, eat that. And, and, and they're instructed, right? And they were sent out when he says, go. And I like that there's an exclamation point in that. Go. And then they come back. They're enthusiastic, but then he kind of corrects them gently. So they're corrected. And I think that's so important when you're, you're teaching your team your extended roster especially, to correct them. Sometimes you're better leaders, you will rebuke. <laughs> but your extended roster, you have to be a little more gentle and correct them gently. Uh, because you can be more, a little bit more firm with your, your, your better leaders, those who, who know better. Or more invested. Or more invested, know better. If they make a gross mistake, uh, you know, but with, with these, well, you can be a little more gentle. And finally, they're praised. You see at the end when, when Jesus is thanking the Father on their behalf and he's so happy. Uh, so when teaching your larger wa- roster, you'll notice that more correction is needed because they are less experienced. Absolutely. So obviously your extended team uh, needs more reassurance. They need more encouragement. In the 80-20 rule, uh, they are your 80%. So in the network marketing language, yeah. that would be your 80%. There you go. So that said, although they tend to be more needy, do not make the mistake of spending all your time on them to detriment of your 20% that is more performing. Yeah, so keep in mind, Jesus spent more time with his 12 than he did with his 72. Exactly. More, like more personal attention we're talking about here. Yes, you want to focus with those that are really um, invested, that really want to learn from you, that are hungry to learn from you. So you will need much discernment when dealing with your extended roster. Out of that, 80% may come some diamonds in the rough, those intangible leaders that we spoke of in episode 15. Uh, The intangible leader, we did an episode on that, um, talking about in your 80%, the intangible leader... Um, how to spot them. So I encourage you to listen to that episode. That was a fantastic episode. Uh, we had a lot of uh, great comments on that. A lot of people came back to us saying how they, they love that. Um, right. So it's going to help you to uh, how to sift through the 80% to find those diamonds in the rough that could actually be part of your 20. But that just, And how to build them, yeah. How to build them up, yeah. So here when we're talking about our 20% right now, Um, Those are the people that you really want to focus on leadership training, on giving them the skills that they need, um, personal development, you know, added trainings, mindset trainings, um, because they're going to need more of it. They're doing crushing more numbers. They have a harder workload um, and they're more invested. So you really want to focus on that. So and the 80%, you know, there's also people in there that mean well, that want to, but that aren't really serious about it. So it's more like to look at their actions and what they're producing, if they're really trying and, and accountability and seeing, um, you know, what their numbers are. And if it's not just talk and wishing yeah. that they're wanting to uh, be part of your your team but they're wishing it into existence instead of putting the action towards it yeah which brings us to the final part of your team the three okay and by the three i mean peter james and john these three apostles were apparently very very close to jesus 
They are mentioned on multiple occasions as being the only ones who were present or whom Jesus took with him when an extraordinary manifestation of his power or glory occurred, such as the raising of Jairus' daughter. Uh, the account is in Mark 5.37 or Luke 8.51. Also, the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. And when Jesus was very sorrowful and needed special encouragement, I guess, from, from his, his brothers, that's that was in the Garden of Gethsemane, prior to his arrest and crucifixion, they were with him. Okay, Peter, James, and John were with him for these three major events in the life of Jesus. And I believe that these three apostles were la crème de la crème. Okay, uh, we say this in English, la crème de la crème. Well, la crème de la crème means the cream of the crop. And and it's not because they were better than the others, okay? But they stood out the most. And here's what I want you guys to understand. Jesus granted them this special uh, privilege of being with him for these special moments, not because he loved them more than the others, but because they loved him more than the others. So it's the other way around. You get it? Okay? So... It's very interesting to note that Jesus brought them with him to the peak of his glory, which is the Mount of Transfiguration, and to the depth of his valley, which was his sorrow in Gethsemane. And I would be willing to to put myself out there saying these were the peaks of his ministry. His transfiguration was the him manifested in his full glory. They got a glimpse of who he truly was. And it was on a mountaintop. And Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, which was the depth of his valley, the depth of his sorrow, where he actually sweat, the sweat turned to blood. So he was so anguished. And apparently there's some doctors who actually said that this is actually possible, that some blood would actually, uh, blood vessels would burst in, in, your, uh, in your body, and the blood would mix with the sweat, and then you would see red uh, as it trickles down the face or whatnot. And I think that was fascinating. So uh, can you imagine the amount of stress that, that was on Jesus at that moment for him to manifest such a, wow. a physical uh, trait? All this to say that these guys, these three, Peter, James, and John, they were his rock stars, not because they were better, but because they thirsted more than the others. And that's often the case when you're building a team, you will notice that your rock stars, they're the ones who devour personal development. They're the ones who will, you're going to tell them, buy this book and read it. They're not only going to buy this book, but they're going to buy two more books by the same author, and they're going to tell you about it. I mean, these are the guys and gals that you need to keep an eye on and say, you know what, I think this, I can go far with this person. And they're going to want more of what you have to say, okay? And they're going to want more of what you have to teach, and they're going to do it. You're going you're gonna to say, for example, you're going to do a, a Facebook training or Facebook, whatever, YouTube, whatever, and they're going to go and do it. Implement every second of speech you say, and come back to you and say, hey, I did what you did and here's what happened. And these are the people that are really, really into it and really, really bought into your leadership. So obviously, as a leader, 
it's not only flattering, but it's an immense privilege when you have someone come along on your team that wants it that bad, that wants it so much, and that it's never too much, and they never complain, uh, they, they never say, I can't do this, I can't. they just want to try, they just want to go for it, and, they, and they're like, I, I, I need this, I got this, I want this, <laughs> and they just go for it. It's a beautiful thing when you got people like that. And Peter, James, and John were that to Jesus. So they sought more from him, so he obliged and he gave them more. So your rock stars, I mean, take really good care of them. So these are the people you can fully invest in and who will give you the highest ROI return on investment that like every second you're going to pour into them, you're going to see uh, come back to you uh, so much because they're so hungry. They, they, like Les Brown would say, you gotta be hungry. Well, these guys and gals, they're hungry. They want it. So your rock stars will, here's what I wrote down. They will do what you say they should do. They will go where you go. So if you go to an event, they say, hey, you should come to this event. If you, if you go to anything, they're gonna, they're gonna wanna be there. They're gonna do the things you do. In other words, they're gonna be very observant of how you do things. And if they're not sure, they're gonna come see you in private and say, how do you do that? How, do you, how did you do that YouTube video? How did you do this Facebook training? How did, how did you, where did you learn this? They're gonna ask you more questions than the others. They're gonna give you results, not excuses. So when you say to do something, they're just, they're just gonna do it. They're just gonna do it because they're so hungry. And in the end, they're gonna be an important part of your legacy. And it's really funny because when you think of the 12 apostles, you read the list, Liz, earlier. I don't know what Bartholomew do, did. I mean, I really don't. Uh, and there's there's a couple of names Thaddeus. We don't even know yeah. how to pronounce his name. I mean, I know he was important, and I respect the fact that Jesus chose him, and he must have done something quite remarkable in his life, probably much better than what I'm doing. But the <laughs> point is, uh, they didn't have the same impact as Peter, James, and John. Uh, and I was telling uh, Liz earlier because she was asking me. She says, if you had to describe the apostles, could you describe the twelve? I said, no, not really. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't know the twelve very much, and biogra biographically. We have, some of them don't have, there's not much on them. Right. But Peter, James, and John, boy. I mean, if you have to boil it down, Peter was the bold one. The act first, think later kind of guy. And the think later part kind of bit him in the, you know what, quite a few times in the scriptures. <laughs> he embarrassed himself. <laughs> but but you got to love this boldness. I mean, Peter was bold. I mean, he, you know, in one minute he's like, I'm not gonna that get. I'm not gonna let anyone capture you. Or uh, then Jesus said, <laughs> "Get thee behind me, Satan." And Peter was like, "Huh? Say what?" And, and right before that, Peter had said, "Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." It's like in, in the instance of like maybe I don't know, maybe a couple of hours, Peter had said that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and Jesus said, "You are lucky, Simon Bar Jonah, Peter, because." This is a revelation that was given directly by my father. So wow, so Peter was blessed at that moment. He stood out. And not, not long after that, Jesus says, I'm gonna go and get killed in Jerusalem. And Peter says, oh no, I'm gonna make it so that it doesn't happen. And then Jesus <laughs> rebukes him because he's seen that he's being influenced by the devil. So that was Peter, I mean, bold, like an incendiary, fiery guy. And then there was John. John who was probably one of the youngest of the apostles, who's said to be quite young, and you know, I said I said that to you uh, that Peter was bold, but John he was bold too in his own way. 
He loved Jesus so much. And I think if you had, you could nickname him the, the apostle of love. Because right. when you read First John, it's just, it's all about love. Love, 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 love God, love your neighbor. And uh, he's also, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it is said of John that he, uh, there's an instance in the Gospels where he wanted, he rested his head on the master's chest. You know, he just he just wanted to be close to Jesus, just wanted to be held by Jesus. Probably because he was kind of a father figure. I don't know the, the age difference there that was uh, between Jesus and John. but And then John got the blessing of being appointed the keeper of Mary when Christ was on the cross. Let's not forget that. Right. He was the only one who showed up. He was the only apostle who had the guts, and let's say he was, he was young, but he was gutsy. He showed up there; he could have been killed. He took a Easily, chance. Yeah. Took a chance, and Jesus looked down on John, and he says, "Take care of my mother. Behold, she's your mother now. Take care of her." So that's that's amazing. And James, well, we don't know as much about James. But here's what we do know: earlier we we read that he was the Lord's half brother, so that's great enough i mean he basically grew up with jesus so he really knew him well and yet you know how we said uh, in an earlier podcast how hard it is when you when you start something big how your family are going to be the ones to doubt you right away so you got to give it you got to hand it to james he was there with the lord he was one of his followers one of his closest and he was right there with him and james in the early church was seen as a pillar of righteousness, so much so that it was called James the Just. James the Just. He, was, he had such a high level of integrity. And he was one of the pillars in Jerusalem uh, of the fledging, fledgling church. And people loved him for that reason. So, But I don't have all that. I mean, we know if we were with Thomas, well, Thomas, the guy who doubted. Yeah, but he did a lot more than that. He actually wrote a gospel that, that didn't, go, didn't make its way into the Bible. Who's... Authorship is questionable, but still the Gospel of Thomas has some interesting stuff in it. And, and, and also, let's not forget his proclamation. When, you know, he was in doubt, yes, but when he put his finger in Jesus' hand, the holes in his hands, he just fell to his knees. My Lord and my God. I mean, and that was, wow. I mean, that was a great turnaround for the, the guy who was, we always say, you know, the doubter, but... Uh, after that, he was quite bold after Pentecost. That's, this guy, uh, he carried his own load. and um, I mean, we, we don't. there's so much we don't know about the apostles. I mean, it's kind of a shame in a way. We learn a lot in Acts, but it's always pretty much the same ones coming, uh, right. coming through. And, uh, but yeah, the, I mean, there's so much we can learn from uh, team building. And uh, we saw this in this episode. So we hope that you... Uh that you got a lot of value from this episode that we uh, help bring forth uh, the process that Jesus used and that you'll be able to use some of these points and examples in your own business and your own team building. And we're going to recommend a few books that uh, we think are really, really awesome on team building. Uh, they are from, you know, older pillars, I call them. So <laughs> people that went before us, um, like Ken Blanchard and John Wooden and John Maxwell, but they're really, really uh, experts in team building. So I, I kind of like older pillars. They're safe. Yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> They're a safe bet. Yeah. And they know what they're talking about. So we're going to leave you a few uh, recommended resources to help you guys out. And uh, we hope that you were blessed by this podcast. If you didn't go to thrivingonpurposepodcast.com yet, 
um, just go and see our website there and you'll be able to uh, join our um, email list so that you can have every episode come straight to your inbox every week. So be sure to do that. And if this episode has blessed you, make sure you share it to people you care about. And we're also going to leave you this um, this teaching in a PDF format for you to download on our website. So um, that will help you if you want to give this teaching to your team, maybe your network marketing and you're building a Christian team and you want to teach them uh, this teaching, that'll be easier for you. We're just going to take all our notes, compile them, so that it's going to be a, a great guide for you to be able to do that. Uh, it could be for your for your church as well. So be sure to get that. Go to thrivingonpurposepodcast.com and be sure to click on the show notes button. That's where we put all our content, our resources. That's where you're able to sign up. And also that's where you can get the free resource, the free guide that we're going to give you for this episode. So be blessed. And thrive on. Thanks for listening to the Thriving on Purpose podcast. Be sure to visit thrivingonpurpose.com to access the show notes and to discover more fantastic content. Until next time, be blessed and may you thrive on purpose.